Thanks for listening to this show from Aspen Public Radio. Archive podcasts, news, and more are made available thanks to the support of listeners like you. To make a donation of support, log on to aspenpublicradio.org. And thanks. Good afternoon. It's Mountain Edition. I'm Rob St. Mary. And I'm Marcy Krivenen. The top official for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs visits with disabled vets in Snowmass. The former owner of an embattled dog sledding operation appears in court. And it's fire season in Colorado. Local firefighters are preparing at specific locations. We've never approached Brush Creek before. We are going to look at the right-of-way, or the county right-of-way, which is a road, and clear off the, the sides to create safe egress for the residents, access for us, and hopefully create some fire breaks. Potholes are forming on local streets. We'll tell you why the deep caverns are particularly pronounced in the high country. State lawmakers spend nine hours debating the budget. And Aspen's elected leaders are discussing eliminating a longtime housing option for workers. It's a great idea and concept. It's failed. And I think every time we allow an ADU to be built, we have actually done a disservice to the community for uh, housing locals. Finally, we talk with high schoolers anxiously awaiting college acceptance letters. The head of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs was in Snowmass Village on Thursday. Secretary Robert McDonald visited vets at the National Disabled Veterans Winter Sports Clinic. Flanked by his handlers, VA Secretary Robert McDonald makes his way toward the Snowmass ski area where veterans are preparing to ski. He stops to speak with David Williams from Florida. Well, you can make it warm and have a lot of snow. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I had that power. Williams is one of 300 severely disabled veterans in Snowmass this week. He was paralyzed below the waist after serving in the Navy. He describes his routine here. Pretty much waking up in the morning and putting my name on the, the wait list so I can go skiing more. Other than that, it's all, it's all I want to do come out here is, and go skiing. That's it. McDonald says skiing gives the vets confidence and gets muscles moving that aren't used often. The work that we do for veterans who have uh, these kinds of injuries and to be able to get them out like this and, and skiing and really giving them a whole new purpose and a whole new activity is, is really remarkable. McDonald also praised the VA employees at work in Snowmass. He's working to turn the agency around after news in 2013 revealed long wait times for vets needing care and corruption within the agency. McDonald is the former CEO of Procter & Gamble. The former owner of the Kreblunik dog sledding kennel in Snowmass pled guilty on Tuesday to one count of animal cruelty. It's part of a plea deal with the district attorney's office. Aspen Public Radio's Carolyn Sakariasen reports. Dan McKeachin was originally charged with eight counts of animal cruelty. The misdemeanor counts came in December of 2013 when the DA's office seized eight dogs from the Snowmass Village operation that McKeachin owned for 40 years. The DA's office says the sled dogs were malnourished and in need of veterinary care. That was after two former employees alleged that the animals were being neglected and abused. McKeachin had pleaded not guilty, saying the dogs were well cared for. But his lawyer, Greg Greer, says the plea deal was a way for his client and the new owners of the business to move on. Dan just wants the dogs taken care of, and this facilitates the sale and the new owner's care of the dogs. That really was all he was ever interested in. Danny and Gina Phillips have taken over and are in the process of buying the business from McKeachin. The Snowmass Village Town Council finalized a lease for the Phillipses last month, but there is a condition. The town, which owns the land where the dog sledding operation sits, wanted the criminal case complete 
before granting the lease. McEachin was facing a week-long trial in May. Now, he will be sentenced on April 13th. He is facing up to 18 months in jail and or $5,000 in fines. Carolyn Sackryson, Aspen Public Radio News. Aspen's Fire Department is doing extra fire prevention near Snowmass Village this spring and expanding ongoing efforts on Red Mountain. Aspen Public Radio's Elise Thatcher has the details. The goal is to limit the amount of fuels or things that can burn near homes. Parker Lathrop is wildfire division chief and says a neighborhood near the intercept lot is a high priority area. We've never approached Brush Creek before. We are going to look at the right-of-way, or the county right-of-way, which is a road, and clear off the, the sides to create safe egress for the residents, access for us, and hopefully create some fire breaks, and in some cases, fuel breaks. Lathrop will be focusing on the right-of-way on Red Mountain, too. There's only one road in and out, which makes the access road especially important. It's a measured approach on how far we extend into that right-of-way. Some areas it's going to be large cottonwoods that have potential to fall and block the roadway. In other areas it might be scrub oak or sarvisberry, which creates a dense brush that if it were to catch on fire, it's just a ton of heat to have that close to an egress path. Last year, the department cleared out brush and other materials on Red Mountain along easements and power lines. Clearing this spring will take place during two weeks in early May. Elise Thatcher, Aspen Public Radio News. It's that time of year when the winter's freeze-thaw cycle causes deep caverns to form on city streets and state highways. Potholes are ubiquitous almost everywhere, but in the high country, the weather's more extreme, so the roads are ripe for ripping open. It's the morning rush hour on West Main Street in Aspen. Buses, cars, and construction vehicles stream into town. So this is kind of the big problem area. Yeah, this is um, the state highway. And this is from where the buses come in. There's so much heavy traffic on it, and um, it's a constant pothole issue problem right here. Jerry Nye is superintendent of streets for the city of Aspen. This section of road across from the Hickory House restaurant looks like it's been hit by small meteorites. The road surface is cracked, and holes that formed this spring were recently filled. These were done um, Friday night. and. The more water we get on it, if we get a small rainstorm or a small snowstorm and all that water, so these keep popping out and we have to just constantly keep watching them and repairing them. Nye's crew patches these potholes in the winter and spring. In the summer, the Colorado Department of Transportation takes over. The city fixed 368 potholes last year and spent $11,000 on patching and preventative maintenance. Nye says Aspen's climate doesn't help. city of Aspen has a ton, a huge amount of freeze thaws. I mean, it's sunny like right now, and then tonight it'll freeze, and that moisture, if it freezes enough, is going to make that asphalt move or pop up. At the post office a short distance away, another gaping pothole is annoying Aspen resident Dottie Walcott. It is just as you pull in front of the post office. I would describe it as deep. I would describe it as having been there for two months. She says it's so large it could damage a vehicle. If you park in front of this hole, you have to back out of your parking space and you could get your rear tire caught in there. So you have to be careful. 
It's not a city problem because it's private land. Walcott says she's been bugging post office staff to fix it, but the problem remains. In an email, a post office representative said the pothole is being filled every week with temporary premix asphalt. A more permanent solution will be implemented when the freezing stops in May. Pitkin County's Public Works Department is handling pothole complaints. Older roads are typically the problem areas, says Brian Pettit with the department. More rural roads like Snowmass and Capitol Creek are areas where we've been filling potholes over the last several years. The county fills about 2,000 potholes a year. Asphalt and maintenance on roads is the department's biggest expense. It's tough in the winter, Pettit says, because the mix used to fill holes isn't super effective. Usually asphalt is a a hot mixed asphalt, which will uh, compact tighter and more solidly. What we have to use when it's cold out is cold mix, and it doesn't uh, last as long in the pothole. So what the Board of County Commissioners recently approved was a new uh, asphalt patching truck. The truck should make the filling in the pothole stick around longer. The Colorado Department of Transportation is in charge of potholes on Highway 82. Last year, the agency spent nearly $20,000 on patching and minor repairs on the road. Remember the string of meteorite-type holes on the highway coming into Aspen? CDOT plans to do major work there this summer. Tracy Truelove is a spokesperson. Our maintenance crew that handles that section of um, highway does have a plan to do some actually more road milling and filling, so that's digging the roadway up, getting the surface into a better place to then lay the asphalt. And what our hope is there that it'll be a fix that'll last a little bit longer. Back along Main Street, City of Aspen Street's Superintendent Jerry Nye says the potholes develop every spring. But this year is particularly bad because of a lack of work last year by CDOT. And they didn't get around to this section last summer. So it basically is why it's blown out so bad this year is because it didn't get fixed during the summer months. The city has a pothole hotline with the goal of fixing problem spots within 48 hours of a call. City streets are in good shape, Nye says, in part because of the hotline. This is Mountain Edition on Aspen Public Radio. I'm Rob St. Mary. To stay up to date with news in the Roaring Fork Valley, follow us on social media, like us on Facebook, or type in Aspen Pub Radio on Twitter. Aspen Public Radio, your news, your music, your station. The state's budget for next year initially passed the Senate on Wednesday after a nearly nine-hour debate. It's the final part of the months-long budgeting process. As Benta Berkland reports, lawmakers did not make many changes. 
Passing a budget to pay for roads, health care, schools, prisons, and parks is the only job lawmakers are technically required to do under the state constitution. It starts with a draft from the governor, followed by months of meetings from the bipartisan joint budget committee to craft it. It's great just the way it is. Leave it alone. That's Democratic Budget Committee member Pat Stebman of Denver. And while lawmakers in both parties ultimately did leave the budget largely alone, it wasn't for lack of trying to change it. Legislators offered dozens of amendments on everything from reducing money for childhood immunizations to cutting funds for state standardized tests for math and English in K-12 schools. Why are we sticking to a failing program, one that is by waves being refused by parents teachers, and our students. Republican Senator Vicki Marble of Fort Collins sits on the Education Committee. Even though lawmakers in both parties are trying to find ways to reduce the number of tests, the proposal still failed. Democratic Senator Raleigh Heath of Boulder says stripping the funding doesn't help. This conversation is not doing away with testing as I read this amendment. This, all this amendment says is the state's not going to pay for it. The mandate to do the testing still exists. So I think we're having the wrong conversation here. Several testing bills are currently moving through the state house. Senate Minority Leader Morgan Carroll of Aurora says substantive changes should happen there. And I do happen to be in the camp of thinking that we have overburdened teachers, students, and parents, and that we are taking time away from the classroom from instruction. Even when proposals have little chance of passing, budget amendments give lawmakers an opportunity to try and resurrect failed measures and debate hot political topics. For instance, Democratic Senator Jesse Uliberry of Westminster requested that Colorado try to attract companies from states like Indiana that have religious liberty laws on the books. And I think it's good business sense for us to recruit those businesses to Colorado because we do have a fully inclusive non-discrimination policy uh, and public accommodation. So those businesses are welcome to come here. We are open for business. It follows a national discussion over the Indiana law, which would allow individuals and corporations to cite religious beliefs as a defense when sued. Opponents say it means businesses could discriminate against the LGBT community. But Republican Budget Committee member Kevin Grantham notes that Colorado's economic Development Office can already attract any business at once. Thank you for all the wonderful political points being made. Sounds like an interesting piece of legislation that you can run. Because the budget covers every aspect of state government, almost anything is fair game for an amendment. One Republican tried to reduce funding for additional inspectors, enforcement, and permitting staff for energy regulators, while a Democrat proposed adding more oil and gas inspectors. One measure was withdrawn, the other proposal failed. Budget Committee Chair Republican Kent Lambert says all the amendments added up to more than $50 million. That would definitely put us out of balance on this budget. I think the long bill is pretty robust in trying to reasonably cover all the bases in all these different programs, all the different departments, and all the different functions of the state. This year, lawmakers have about $9.5 billion in their discretionary fund. It's also the first time in a decade that the state will be required to refund money to taxpayers under the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights or Tabor Amendment. Next week, the Democratic-controlled House will get its chance to make tweaks to the budget. I'm Benta Berkland at the State Capitol. We learned Thursday the state Senate did give final approval to that budget.
Aspen City Council is considering eliminating a longtime housing option for local workers. Aspen Public Radio's Carolyn Sakharison reports. It's called the Accessory Dwelling Unit Program, and it's been around for decades. The idea was that wealthy homeowners would offset their development impacts by building a separate dwelling unit from the main house so a local worker could live there. But it's a voluntary program, and many of them remain empty. At Tuesday's work session, City Councilman Adam Frisch told his colleagues that the program should be eliminated. The main thing is, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's not working. It's a great idea and concept. It's failed, and I think every time we allow an ADU to be built, we have actually done a disservice to the community for uh, housing locals. A city commission survey shows that only 39% of these so-called ADUs are occupied. Frisch believes it's more like 10% based on the comments received during the most recent census. The idea is to, quote, unwind the program and allow homeowners to retire their ADUs and eliminate the deed restriction on their property, giving it greater value. Those who take their ADUs out of the inventory would have to pay a flat fee, which is undetermined. Chris Benden is Community Development Director for the City of Aspen. It's really centered around this, this occupancy, that the mitigation option should translate into actually housing people, and that ADUs don't they house people, but not at the rate that we feel is justified. The ADU program is one of a dozen or so policy changes the City Council is considering for mitigation for residential development. The first public hearing on the potential changes is scheduled for April 27th. Carolyn Zacharias and Aspen Public Radio News. An Aspen nightclub is the first of several local businesses to end its lawsuit against two firms that caused a 12-hour power outage last summer. Again, Aspen Public Radio's Carolyn Zachariasen. Bootsy Bellows is one of seven businesses that sued LKP Engineering and Odell Drilling, seeking thousands of dollars in lost wages and profits from the August 4th incident. Bootsy's case was dismissed last month after all of the parties agreed to a settlement. Attorney Chris Bryan, who represented Bootsy Bellows, says he cannot comment on the settlement terms because they are confidential. The companies were performing soil sample work at a home on East Hallam Street when the crews sliced through nine utility lines, cutting power off to most of downtown Aspen. The homeowner, Patricia Gorman, has also been named as a defendant in the lawsuits. LKP and Odell in December pleaded no contest in Aspen Municipal Court to a charge of damaging city infrastructure. A plea agreement resulted in the firm's paying the city more than $17,000. Litigation is still ongoing for six other businesses. Most are restaurants. listening to Mountain Edition from Aspen Public Radio News. I'm Marcy Quivenen. If you missed the first part of today's show, you can find a podcast on our website, aspenpublicradio.org. Colorado lawmakers want to see whether the state's getting its money's worth from nearly 200 tax breaks designed to create jobs and help the economy. As Venter Berkland reports, if a measure to study the issue passes, it would be the first time for this type of examination. 
In current state law, Colorado provides 186 tax breaks, everything from vending machine food to dairy equipment, affordable housing, livestock feed, and fuel for light, heat, and power. I think it's worth taking a look periodically to make sure we are being responsible to the taxpayers with their tax money to say, where is this money being spent and are we getting a good return on that investment? That's Democratic Representative Casey Becker of Boulder, one of the main sponsors of House Bill 1205. She says there's never been a review of all the tax breaks in law, some of them dating back to the 1930s. I sit on the Finance Committee, and last year we saw dozens of bills that were for new or renewing tax breaks. And I realized that we didn't really have a systematic way to review them. And it adds up to almost $5 billion annually in tax breaks. While no business groups outright oppose the measure, several remain neutral. Republican Representative Lori Sane of Firestone is another backer of the bill. She says no one wants their tax breaks taken away. I think some groups were a little nervous at first, but we did assure them we're not going after a certain project by any means. And Sane says it could end up benefiting certain industries. We would like to not only extend those programs, but maybe even put more more of our focus and energy and resources towards things that are working for Coloradans. Sane says some tax breaks should be removed from the books if they're no longer necessary. The state auditor would review all the tax expenditures and a bipartisan committee of mostly lawmakers would report back to the legislature and offer recommendations. The committee would be ongoing and would cost about $600,000 each year. There would be some exemptions from the review, such as groceries. The measure cleared its first committee unanimously and now awaits a hearing in the House Appropriations Committee. I'm Benta Brooklyn at the State Capitol. Students at Aspen High School are ringing a bell in the school commons quite often this spring, and that ringing signals the next step in the student's journey towards college. The tradition was started by college counselor Kathy Klug. So that's been happening a lot recently. A lot. This is the week. This is the week students hear from the schools they applied to, according to college counselor Kathy Klug. When it's good news, the students ring the silver bell near Klug's office. You hear it throughout the school. This is the celebratory bell. When kids apply to college, we want to send out the best with their application and so we send out sort of our wishes and this is symbolic of that sending and then when they get in they ring the bell in celebration. High school senior Isabella Courtenay Morris says it's a stressful time. Definitely everyone was kind of on edge especially this this past week because all of the colleges were sending out their admission letters. Um, there were some tears shed, good and bad. She's more relaxed after receiving acceptance letters from six schools. Still, she hasn't heard from her favorite. Brown University I've always loved, and I've always wanted to go there. That's my dream school. She wants to study journalism or foreign affairs. She's a desirable applicant. She competes in three sports, volunteers with the Buddy program, holds a 4.34 grade point average, and... And I'm also an eighth grade girls mentor, so I help out the upcoming girls who are coming um, from eighth grade and transitioning into high school. I mean, those are all things that schools value, correct, when they're yeah. looking for new students? Yeah, um, I guess so. I mean, it's, it's worked so far. I would say that um, it is more competitive. College counselor Kathy Klug says it's increasingly challenging for students to gain admission to schools. And in Colorado, 
our own state university, University of Colorado Boulder, our flagship, you have to have a 3-5 and a 25 on a test out of 36 to be admitted. That's their median, you know, that's their average. Klug and her colleagues developed a program to better equip students for the college search. It's called Discovery Class, and every 11th grader takes it. It's about self-discovery. You know, what makes me tick and what motivates me and what makes me uh, fulfilled as a scholar, as an athlete, as a person? How do I contribute? And then the kids translate that into, how will I contribute? The idea is to get the kids to articulate what they'd like in their future, and then pinpoint which colleges will get them there. From 18 weeks, they take this class, and they get from I don't know to I'm pretty clear on two or three things that have to be on my campus. It empowers the students to make this decision. Inside Klug's office, high school senior Connor Pierce is seated between his mother and Klug. You're, you're an easy kid to work with, seriously, because you know what you want and you know what you don't want. Pierce is dressed for lacrosse practice. He just discovered he's been accepted to Loyola Marymount University, but he's unsure whether it's the right choice. I have no idea. <laughs> It's between Loyola Marymount, Chapman, and the University of San Diego. All California schools. Um, well, I really like the beach, and they all have great club lacrosse and hockey teams and great philosophy programs. He will travel to the schools for campus tours before making a selection. Unlike many schools, most high school seniors at Aspen High head to college, usually more than 90% of the senior class. Klug says it's due in part to the discovery class. We believe that with the class and empowering them, they see the future differently than kids who have never been exposed to it. There isn't a state requirement that all schools in Colorado have college counselors. In small rural schools, classroom teachers are often the ones helping with college and scholarship applications. Klug says she's working on taking the discovery program beyond Aspen. The Aspen Chapel has a long tradition of holding an Easter service far above town. This year, that legacy continues, but with a twist. Aspen Public Radio's Elise Thatcher spoke with the chapel's new leader, Nicholas Vesey, who is an Anglican priest, who explains what's in store for this Sunday. Well, the Easter service on the mountain's been going now for over 40 years, and as I'm a new kid on the block, having just arrived in November, uh, it was difficult to think what to do, uh, given my predecessor, Greg Anderson, had done various antics like getting two people to jump out of a plane and land by parachute on the mountain. I was casting around thinking, what are we going to do this different this year? When Greg Anderson, the, the previous minister, said, how would it be if as part of the Easter service, I married my long-term fiance Carolyn, on the mountain? And I just thought it was just the perfect thing because Easter is about uh, renewal, new birth. It's about love. And to have that as part of the service is great. But as well as that, we've got all the normal stuff. We've got uh, fantastic music up there. Uh, we'll have a lovely message. And differently, we're going to have the Ute Indian leader uh, is going to be saying the prayers. So we're going to be the Ute Indians used to obviously own the area around here. So it's just wonderful 
that he's going to come and say the prayers on behalf of our community. And did you invite him or how did that come about? Yes, I invited him. I, I, I'd heard that they had a convention in town that evening or that day. And so I thought it'd be great to have him. So I rang him up or, and um, he said he'd be delighted to come. Will you be skiing down? No, he wasn't. No, no. Although since I've come, I have learned to ski. I have, uh, you know, decided that come being a minister at Aspen Chapel, I just would have no credibility whatsoever if I didn't learn to ski. But no, I've got to shoot down the mountain for our 11 o'clock service at the chapel, a slightly more conventional service. Uh, but again, I have to get down for that. Well, Nicholas Vesey, thanks for taking the time to talk. Thank you. Nicholas Vesey is the Anglican priest at the Aspen Chapel. He spoke with Aspen Public Radio's Elise Thatcher. That's all for this week's Mountain Edition. Have a nice afternoon. I'm Marcy Grivenen. And I'm Rob St. Mary. To hear the show again or download a Mountain Edition podcast, head to our website, aspenpublicradio.org. Mountain Edition is a production of Aspen Public Radio News. Thanks for listening to this show from Aspen Public Radio. Archive podcasts, news, and more are made available thanks to the support of listeners like you. To make a donation of support, log on to aspenpublicradio.org. And thanks.